0: Welcome to Storage Geometry, episode 14, On the Move. I'm Ben Hess. So between 35 and 40 million Americans, that's like 11 to 14% of the population, move every year. This is according to the U.S. Census Bureau and real estate metric site, Home Data. I'm in this group for 2016, and I've been observing the process with an objective, riderly eye, but also slogging through it as a weary participant. Today's episode features two chapters and spotlights authors at very different stages of their writing journey. They shared several stories of impactful moves and the effects felt on their writing. Before we dive in, Story Geometry is presented in partnership with Literary Workshop Series Writing by Writers. They invite you to join their annual four-day workshop this October in Tamales Bay, California, just north of San Francisco. This year's amazing lineup includes award-winning faculty Richard Bosch, Ada Limon, Paul Leski, Justin Torres, Claire Bay Watkins, and Pam Houston. For all the details and to sign up, visit writingxwriters.org. So here we are, chapter 1: Sleeping on Failure. 2005 Pulitzer Prize finalist in nonfiction Luis Alberto Urrea had a trifecta of firsts in 1993 and 94. He exploded on the literary scene, with the publication of a nonfiction book, a collection of poetry, and a novel, all in those two years. Then came the hardships of the literary expectation and the lack of
1: commercial success. My first novel had come out from HarperCollins and was a total, like many first novels, bomb. Mm-hmm. And I had gone to Tucson to work on Hummingbird's Daughter, mm-hmm. and my whole life totally crashed. I mean, crashed. My, my first marriage had fallen apart which was okay because it was miserable. And I had some friends who were first edition collectors. And so they talked me into buying out the entire first edition so it wouldn't be remaindered. And they said they would reimburse me. What I didn't understand is they didn't mean right away. (laughs) So I ended up in Tucson with zero savings left. And lots of books. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. And in boxes and so I ended up living in, in a little uh, 400 square foot adobe with just enough money for rent I didn't have enough money to eat and I had no furniture so I built my bed out of boxes of my unbought book <laughs> I had a cousin gave me an old futon so the futon was on top of my books and I I lay there sleeping on my failure and I, you know, I got I think I got really emotionally ill and there whoever had lived in this place before me had cleaned everything out except one giant box of minute rice. And so I would cook a bowl of minute rice a day, a little tiny bowl and I had little 50 cent bottles of tabasco and I put tabasco. That was how was I that? was living. I was I was like a, a Zen monk unbeknownst to myself. and it got really rough. Anyway, Cindy, who ended up being my wife, was a reporter at the Tucson Citizen at the time. And she was partially covering the writer beat. There's so many authors in Tucson. And uh, she started to understand that I was in trouble, I think. And she would stop by in the morning with coffee and bagels on her way to the newspaper, just keeping me alive. So much of your nonfiction
0: is journalistic in scope and and observation, but you don't, bill yourself as a journalist did that ever did you ever view that as a hindrance or is that
1: something you ever got bogged down in you know it's interesting because being married to an actual journalist (laughs) that really put the kibosh on my fantasies because those those people you know in spite of all the ridiculous endless attacks on journalism that politicians enjoy it's an easy target and real journalists are just you know it's 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 an incredible duty an incredible skill set and people you know who've gone to to journalism school and been in the trenches and they know how to construct a story and how to think I came to it as a as a personal essayist a sort of experiential essayist and the reason I was here in Boulder going to grad school is I had written a book about Tijuana that was rejected for 10 years nobody would publish it over and over again and I I was told my name was too weird no American will read a book with somebody with a name like yours I was told to add an Anglo name Uh to make myself more (laughs) acceptable you know and a direct quote from a New York editor nobody cares about starving Mexicans this was in the 80s you know Hmm. Um, and so I gave up and I came here Um, but on the way here I had stopped back in San Diego And I was looking for work, and I contacted the San Diego Reader, the Weekly Alternative. Mm -hmm. And because it was a free paper, I figured, you know, you're not going to make any money writing. And I called the publisher. I didn't know you don't do these things. And I asked him if he needed any copy editors. And he was like, man, copy editors, I'm trying to publish this huge tabloid every week. I need writers. Do you write? I said, yeah. He said, do you have anything about Tijuana? (laughs) (laughs) and I said well just just a little (laughs) yeah I happen to have a book about it and he said let me see it and I I, naively I won't say stupid I was naive took the book and handed it over and uh, what what my wife could have told me if I'd known her back then was that what you really need as a writer is not a groovy uh, workshop leader but you need a city desk editor from a newspaper who's savage, cruel, hungover, pissed off. He just slaughtered me like I'd never been slaughtered. And he was writing things on it like, this is bullshit. Nobody cares about your feelings. Stop whining. I was so offended until I saw what he put together. And he took the essence of what I was trying to say and made a piece of it. And then they ran it as a front page piece, Thanksgiving week in San Diego. And people in San Diego had no idea that 10 minutes away, there were babies dying of hunger and cold. And it was just, it was like a, a bomb went off in San Diego. So, you know, that, that I learned on the run. Mm-hmm. And although it wasn't a daily paper, which would have really been a training, I was thankful because being a weekly and an alternative, it let me still be essayistic. Right. So if I were any kind of journalist, it would be much more like, you know, Chuck Bowden or or you know one of my heroes, Joan Didion. I was trying to write essays full of art
2: yeah.
1: while revealing these story things. So when Devil's Highway came around and it was really going to be serious journalism work, I took my wife because <laughs> I didn't know how to interview those guys. Once the border patrol, they they they. Gave me the runaround for four months. The Devil's
0: Highway: A True Story is a nonfiction account of a group of Mexican immigrants on the move and lost in the Arizona desert. The book was a Pulitzer finalist in 2005.
1: And she's the one who who negotiated. Yes, yeah. yeah, she negotiated with a with a Yuma to take me in. So you know when I had to go talk to politicians or lawyers or things, she went along, yeah. and she kind of just. And then when it was time to actually put it together, you know, she she had her journalism eye on it. And we fought a lot. She didn't she did absolutely did not agree with me in the way I did the book. Hmm. Because she wanted a journalist work. Mm-hmm. And she wanted all this stuff added. And uh-huh. I said, No, we're done. We're stopping here. She said, Are you insane? That's not the full story? No, you yeah. can't I said, It's not about the full story, it's about this moment yeah. and its repercussions through time. Um and, you know, I felt like I was right thank you <laughs> I was looking back over
0: at the memoir Wandering time and you had some references back then to journals and notebooks and the power of looking at the journals of Cheever and yeah are you still keeping journals and notebooks and is it a daily practice or
1: intermittent? It's become intermittent at best. I think that the you know, The thumbnail of Satan i.e. the iPhone has (laughs) destroyed journaling for a lot of people because you find out you know you post something on Facebook or you you know you jot observations on the road that's what I do um but yeah I like I like journaling and Wandering Time um ironically enough is my favorite of my books because it was written completely in freedom with no one editing no one just did exactly what I wanted for better or for worse so I put together bits of those journals, those mountain journals, to reman- remind myself of all the things I loved and gave me hope. Yeah. And uh, also as a gift for her for feeding me and caring for me. And uh, obviously I didn't die. <laughs> and we ended up married. So, But um, the editors at U of A Press, I showed it to them. They really liked Wandering Time. And so we made a deal that you can only make, I think, with a university press. And that was... I wanted it to look like a book of haiku, really pretty. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be very cheap, cover price. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it this will this will be really counterintuitive to writers listening, but I wanted it to never be marketed. Why is that? It had to be obscure. It had to be it had it's it was such a pure thing for me that I didn't want it to be a new flavor of Oreos or something. I mean, there's not much chance of that with the University Press anyway. No, no. But I wanted it even more obscure, and they agreed. I said, "I, I just want it to be snuck out there, yeah. and let people find it by accident." You know, it's uh, fascinating. In
0: Los Angeles, in Silver Lake, it's where I've been saying, "This is the only book of yours they had in stock."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't realize all that backstory with that level of emotional state that yeah. you were you found yourself in in Tucson, do, were you able to progress on Hummingbird's Daughter successfully at that point? Were you journaling at
1: that point? What went down in Arizona and since then has been hair raising and um, so much so that my publisher several times suggested a nonfiction book about the experience would be of great interest. And so in some ways, Devil's Highway came out of the thought of keeping a nonfiction Mm -hmm. because I have a record of everything that happened. And some of it was really out there, but I was keeping journals. Some of my former writing students, because I've taught writing for a very long time, um, were in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I was in such a strange state and so isolated, I think, in Arizona that I began corresponding with this group of women And I sent them a journal two or three times a week of what was just written out on a computer and printed out and sent to them. And uh, one of my friends, Jonna, I have to, if I can ever stand to look at it, but she has... She Over has the the hard twelve hundred pages of <laughs> record, including you know, including 1,200 pages. Oh, easily they're they're in binders. They fill a whole shelf. Oh my gosh! But it's also you know, first drafts of all these chapters. And I was doing spot journalism as best I could, so I was I would include all my manuscripts. So like, there's this insane record, almost on a daily level, of not only the experiences and what happened with you know my Apache medicine man teacher or or my my cousin Esperanza who was a a full medicine woman for the Mayo tribe who are cousins to the Yaquis and all the weird stuff but there were ghosts and apparitions and it was the strangest time and then hangouts with other writers it was just a daily record of what was going on including the work I was doing into the beautiful North Cape partly because I wanted to recuperate from the Devil's Highway experience and the, the, the soul draining of all that Hummingbird's Daughter stuff. And so I set out to write a book that made me laugh. I wanted to laugh every day. Yeah. But I also didn't want to abandon my my interest in, in some of the border issues. And so I thought I would write a subversive book that kept me laughing. And I didn't know if I'd publish it or not. Based on all the reporting I was, I was reading about the towns in Mexico that were devoid of men and how women were trying to run towns. And this was before the really insane levels of narco war broke out. But, um, you know, so I thought, well, my family comes from a really small and very eccentric town in Sinaloa. And so I used that as the basis for the story. And I thought, who, what woman could be the mayor? And I, I had a very domineering and mad, mad aunt who was Mexico's women's bowling champion. Aunt Irma and I thought, well, oh, hell, I'll make Aunt Irma mayor of that town." <laughs> so it was it was a way then for me to try to express a kind of a Joseph Campbell mythological story that you don't see very often. It's always a guy going on this epic quest to save his people, you know. And if you read Joseph Campbell, there's this incredible hero's journey, you know, his long travel through foreign, alien lands into some mystical place and they fight dragons and devils and there's a often a a death or a subterranean passage
0: i think there've been 14 books 16, of you, 16 books yeah, 16. of yours across different genres from yeah. poetry to short fiction to creative nonfiction and fiction if somebody was coming to you and your work for the first time what would you recommend they
1: start with <laughs> <laughs> It's like choosing your favorite <laughs> child, right? Yeah, I, I guess it would be Devil's Highway or Hummingbird's Daughter. Okay. Though if they're pop readers, which more and more of them are, I, I tell them into the beautiful North. So I have that, that trifecta. Luis Urea, yes. thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Cool, brother. Before traveling
0: into Chapter Two, I just have to tell you about today's sponsor. I've mentioned before, I love great hour old storytelling, especially while on the move myself. I've been driving I-5 between Los Angeles and the Bay Area many times, and I've been listening to lots of audiobooks. Today's sponsor is Talking Book, the independent audiobook publisher. They will produce your audiobook and get it pumping through the largest distribution network available to authors anywhere. Killer audiobooks, like the Penn Open Book Award finalist, Forrest Premable, by celebrated poet Livy Francis. But Talking Book, Authors call the creative shots and receive the highest share of royalties. That means more control of your work and more money in your pocket. Go to talkingbook.pub and turn your story into your audiobook. Blogger Gretchen Howell arrived in Boulder back in April for Riding by Writers Generative Workshop on her loaded-down touring bike. When we chatted, I quickly discovered that not only is she traveling the United States on two wheels, She's also looking for a new home.
2: Now I don't really have a home to go back to because my parents have decided to move and I can't really afford California without them.
0: And looking at your blog, I wanted to just have you tell the listeners about your decision to make this journey and maybe just a little bit of your past as a touring cyclist.
2: It came about like just in a couple of days at the beginning of February. I had seen an ad for this riding workshop and I knew that I wanted to take another bike ride to do another long bike ride because I was just really bored at home. I, was, I had quit one job and just didn't have any enthusiasm at all about getting another teaching job. So I decided I could ride my bike from California to Riding Bike Riders in Boulder and then continue on to see more of my friends and... Visit, visit different places I hadn't seen in the US, and hopefully go to some more riding workshops on the way.
0: Did you cycle as a kid, or just curious the background of all this?
2: No, I didn't cycle as a kid either. I um, We had ponies, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did a little bit in college. Um, I, I lived in a cycle city, but then I had a big uh, bike accident, and I didn't cycle again for years. Uh, but no, i read a book, uh, called miles from nowhere that, um, inspired me. And then there's a website called uh crazy guy a That is a uh, night after night of reading, um, of adventure travel. Basically it's a, it's a way to be an adventurous traveler, um, to see a place, you know, inch by inch and, but to be able to carry a lot more gear than you can on your back for me, that's a, a big issue. And, um, I wouldn't say at all that I'm a mountain biker. I'm more of a commuter, Uh Uh (laughs) Um, but I don't have any fancy tricks. I'm not, I'm not, um, I am, I know I'm strong, but I'm not that fast.
0: Maybe not fast, but since meeting Gretchen back in April, she's biked 1,200 miles. And as of this taping, she's near Lake Superior in Northern Minnesota.
2: I cycled around Asia for about two and a half years was my first international trip. My first big trip was Seattle to San Diego, um, which is a long trip, but it's very well, uh, there's a place to stay every night, you know where you're going, there's maps that you can get online and books. Uh, My big adventure, uh, international adventure, started in Singapore and went through Malaysia, Indonesia, East Timor, Australia, New Zealand, India, Nepal, Bangladesh. And I tried to have maps, but mostly that was, I made it up as I went along. I met up with different people. I didn't do a whole lot of free camping like I do now because it's hot and hotels cost $5 a night. But I did learn to trust my instincts about, you know, accepting help from people or, you know, who to trust on the way. And that's, I suppose, the the biggest thing that you learn when you're depending on just yourself and your bicycle and in foreign countries but that kind of experience definitely makes me um confident about doing it here Mm -hmm. and I can see for people just starting out you wouldn't know who to trust or if you could really ride up a hill things like that
0: right right mixing in the writing with with this what's your writing background and uh, you know, Are you pursuing uh, taking the blog that you're writing and maybe turning that into some personal essays or have you written creative nonfiction, fiction fiction or essays in the past? Just give us a sense of the kind of stuff you, you like to write and then maybe uh, what you like to read or listen to.
2: I am a, a, a very diverse and enthusiastic reader uh, and now I'm also a sort of obsessive podcast listener.
0: Brief interruption to say that Gretchen has since written a blog post with all of her podcast recommendations broken down by genre. And yes, full disclosure, the literary section includes story geometry at the top of the list. Thanks for that, Gretchen. I'll be placing a link to her post in our show notes. But here's more from Gretchen Howell.
2: The writing for me is still a very difficult process. Uh, it is not as easy as riding a bicycle. <laughs> 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 um, but I really enjoy reading about people's adventures and people who are inspiring, especially women, especially single women, especially older single women. So for me, I would really like to provide more um, sort of creative nonfiction and adventure travel stories for women who are like me, who um, feel like, gosh, there's something I'd like to do. How do I do it? And, you know, you know, what do I do with this? impulse because I don't feel like we have a lot of, uh, you know, road books or inspirational things to read.
0: Have you read or seen the film of Cheryl Strayed's Wild?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you you know, you'd be surprised how many people I still see reading at when they're on vacation at the Grand Canyon. And I see people in, sitting in the campground reading Cheryl Strayed. And I saw a picture of her and Pam Houston on vacation together in Hawaii and just about... Squealed <laughs> to see my two favorite writers on vacation together in one of my favorite places.
0: What was the first Pam Houston book you read, and like, what, what kind of what's the history uh, of just you as a reader or a fan of hers, and and ultimately that you hear?
2: I read "Cowboys Are My Weakness." Actually, my sister and I both read it, and you know, traded it back and forth for years, and talked about it for years, and she loved. Pam's stories for the horses and the dogs, and I loved Pam's stories for the adventure and the boyfriends. And, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I've read all of her books, but that still is always the, the first one for me, yeah. with all the river rafting. And yeah. she really is a, a pioneer in terms of um, being a, a, a woman out in the world, in, a, in sort of a manly world, but a, a not really... Mm-hmm you know she isn't she is still herself and not you know confined to some sort of idea about about being a a man's woman or a glamorous woman or you know just doing it the way you want to do it
0: yeah yeah you mentioned um potentially having to stop into a town get a job for a little while earn some money and then get back on the bike so you could potentially show up in town X and, and be the substitute teacher for the rest of school year or Absolutely. or or be working in Starbucks or, or who knows.
2: Sure, sure. That could that could totally happen. And I would hope that at the same time I would be writing that this will be a yeah. this would be a natural stopping point in my trip yeah. to write something about what has gone on in my trip and what my adventures have been and, you know, to work this into some kind of body of work, which is really the hardest part of what I want to do now. The riding of the bike across the country is really the easy part. And
0: Which is shocking to hear you say. <laughs> <laughs> Will you let listeners know your blog so we can follow you as you make your journey across the country?
2: My blog is called uh, Spinstera. It's www.spinstera. It's spinster with an A at the end. WordPress.com.
0: Spinstera.wordpress.com. I'm Ben Story, Geometry Gretchen. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much.
0: With the political conventions behind us, I'll close today's episode with the next selection in our election year lit series, writing by, about, or influenced by presidential politics. I simply have to highlight the 1974 journalistic tour de force, All the President's Men by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. The book chronicles their Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporting for the Washington Post that ultimately toppled Richard Nixon and forced him to resign the presidency. It was named to the all-time 100 best nonfiction books by Time magazine and was also made into an award-winning film of the same name, starring Robert Redford and Paul Newman as the reporting duo. And that's episode 14. Warm thanks to Luis Alberto Urea and Gretchen Howell for sharing their candid personal stories about being on the move, and the effects on their writing. And also for the ongoing support from Talking Book. They're at talkingbook.pub. Reminder, please complete our brief listener survey, bit.ly slash storygeosurvey. And you can also sign up for Writing by Writers workshops and events at writingxwriters.org. I'm your producer and host, Ben Hess, at Ben Hess on Twitter and Instagram. And the show is at Story Geometry on Twitter and Facebook. Have a fantastic rest of your summer.